Good afternoon and welcome to the Cannabis Conversation. My name is Mike Darty, and I am your host. We are here with Brett Puffenberg, um, who is the Director of Sales and Marketing at Focus. So Brett, what is Focus? Focus is the foundation of Cannabis Unified Standards. Uh, and the short answer is we're a 501c3 nonprofit certifying body to upregulated standards. And why do we need this? Why do we need uh, this nonprofit? The short answer is, is that cannabis isn't like any other industry. We're similar to a lot. We, we have similarities to consumer packaged goods. We have similarities to alcohol and tobacco. We have similarities to pharmaceuticals. But none of the current standards or standardized bodies really encompass everything that cannabis needs. So our founder, Leslie, took it upon herself to think, well, what would I want as an operator? Because she's an ex-operator herself, just like me. And it really came down to, we don't need to reinvent the wheel, but we do need to take the best pieces of all of the wheels that are similar and put them into one thing. So she decided to go about this using the CARF model and basically come up with out of the existing standards from mainstream industry, which pieces are most relevant and which pieces are most applicable to the cannabis industry and then put them in a very specific format that hits the four main pillars currently of cannabis operations. So cultivation, retail, lab testing, and then manufacturing. And manufacturing is a little broader term than some people might think of it as. So manufacturing is extraction, processing, packaging, infusion, all of the things that happen after you harvest the plant before you're actually starting to sell the plant. And honestly, the big thing is standards are crucial for long-term development of an industry. And at the end of the day, Focus strives to be the health and safety organization. That's it. That's all Focus cares about. That's Focus's main primary mission. It's the whole thing that keeps us all up at night. How do we ensure a safe, healthy industry for consumers, for patients, for employees? How do we help cannabis businesses do better in those realms? And are you creating the standards or are you just simply looking to enforce them and, and moderate them? So we actually created the standards and we're going through the final stages of ANSI accreditation now to be a fully accredited standardized body. And does this include products such as CBD and things like that? Of course it does. Yeah. Okay. So we are uh, non-denominational between which side of the, the cannabis plant we're talking about. Um, sure. Truth be told, the, the differentiation is arbitrary and legal. It's not scientific. So whether it's the hemp side of the house or the, the high THC cannabis or marijuana side of the house, at the end of the day, it's the same plant and it should be looked at the same way. So it doesn't matter if it's a CBD gummy producer or a high THC multi-state operator or anything in between. Um, we believe at the end of the day that standards are crucial for their long-term development. They're crucial for the health and safety of patients and consumers. And just in general, they make for better business. I mean, the reason why I brought up CBD is because that was a clear example of not knowing what you were getting when you bought a, pack, bought a product, right? You know, the, they were either not labeled or mislabeled or uh, representations of what was contained. You know, it was just basically a crapshoot what you were getting product-wise. Um, when, That's still happening to right. a large degree with Delta 8, THCO, HHC, the, the host of 
whether you want to call them synthetics or semi-synthetics or minor cannabinoids, uh, we're still very much in that boat. And do, do the products like uh, Delta-8, do they undermine the credibility of the cannabis industry in general? That's kind of a loaded question. That's um, why I asked. <laughs> the best, <laughs> I, don't, I don't normally shy away from answering a question that directly, so I'll do my best. Um, I think, and I believe it is the position of focus that all minor cannabinoids could have a place and they deserve to have a place because we just don't know. There needs to be more research into them. There needs to be more efficacy or understanding of the efficacy. There needs to be more put into it to know. So by no means should any of the minor cannabinoids not be considered in the pantheon of therapeutic medicine that is cannabis, but they're also made in a potentially very dangerous way. A lot of the times they're made in a very scary way. I mean, a really simple question I've seen thrown around there that, that we have kind of gotten into the habit of using too is, do you want to vape acid? Because at this point, the creation of those is made with that. Or even worse, it's acids and palladium and additives. And they're very much, <clears throat> they're very much substances that aren't necessarily made as simply as growing some cannabis and extracting it out of the machine. They're, they're created through a lot of fancy lab work. And we just don't know if they're healthy, if they're safe, and if we are gonna create them, right, as an industry, we should be doing that with the utmost care. Uh, <clears throat> so that's kind of where we land on that one. Um, it's, are they a bad cannabinoid in and of themselves? No. Is the current way they're being marketed and created and sold on the market detrimental to the industry as a whole? Probably, and, and that's, a, that's a problem, right? We're just now coming out of, this era of stigmatization and the last thing we need is to be asking for a black eye while we're still kind of in the toddler stage of, of an industry. Yeah, I mean, cause you know, <laughs> it's clear that this was produced to sort of circumvent some of the, you know, <clears throat> regulations around other cannabis products. So, you know, it, the, the fact that it was created to circumvent and, and sort of bypass what would be any other cannabis product would have to undergo sort of suggests that it's questionable in nature, right? Yeah, I mean, so the particularly with Delta-8 is a naturally occurring cannabinoid. It's not a naturally produced cannabinoid. And what I mean by that is the plant doesn't produce it during its growth. So you're, you're never going to go find a healthy growing plant that's got any measurable amount of Delta-8 in it. Delta-8 traditionally exists in a dynamic state during the degradation of CBD. So basically, while the plant's rotting, it shows up. And, and the process with which to get it in a commercially viable state or to you know, produce it even is basically to take CBD and acid wash it and degrade that CBD down into this molecule, which is quite similar chemically to Delta-9 THC, the THC we all know from regular everyday cannabis. And right now we can test for Delta-8. So we know it's in there. Um, we can test for a lot of the interesting things that we normally test for, heavy metals, pesticides, all of that. But depending on the lab, we, not, we might not be able to test for the acids used as the solvent to get there. We might not even be able to accurately test for the Delta-8. Um, 
I saw a recent study. Um, I can't remember who conducted it, but somebody went out and purchased a large chunk of Delta 8 products, and most of them weren't even registering with the amount of Delta 8 that was on the label. And that becomes kind of sketchy. And then you get even further down the line and you get into something like uh, hexahydroxycannabidiol, HHC, where up until a few weeks ago, there wasn't even a lab standard to tell us if that's what was in the products, yet they were immediately being flipped over, sold on the market. You could go buy them in a gas station. And that's kind of a sketchy proposal for anybody, whether you're like us in a health and safety organization or you're just the average everyday consumer, I at least want to know, and I think most people do, what's on what's on the label is what's in the package. Right. I mean, that was, you know, I mean, that has been one of the primary selling points between, you know, the legalization and understanding what you're buying and sort of the risk of the black market. The black market, you know, you don't always know where it came from, what's on it, that type. Of, and the legalization was... in you know, one of the talking points was to ensure that, you know, through legalization, you would know what you were getting, mm-hmm. you know, and so, you know, this Delta A product sort of reverts back to a black market sort of feel where it's really questionable what we're getting and what it contains. Um, and in the early days of CBD, you know, clearly people <clears throat> jumped on the CBD bandwagon, put CBD on the label, regardless of what was in the product. Um, because it's sold as a result. And it just feels like Delta 8 is trying to do the same thing. Oh, it most definitely is, if not even bigger, right? Uh, It's this whole phenomenon of minor cannabinoid chasing where, particularly in the United States, we as a country are producing more hemp products than we're consuming. So then it, it inevitably leads to this kind of tiered effect or this domino effect where oh, well, if this one doesn't sell, let's go ahead and use some fancy chemical maneuvering and try to sell this one or this one or this one. And at the end of the day, particularly the psychotropic or the psychoactive minor cannabinoids that are being produced under the hemp banner are kind of proof in the pudding that the demand for high THC products is there. And I think a lot of this is a, a symptom of continued quasi-legal or somewhat prohibition status, right? We're still federally illegal in the United States. What we end up having is a workaround or a loophole, if you will. <clears throat> and that's a that's a problem in and of itself, right? Like the, the people want the real stuff and they're settling for the less real stuff. And at the end of the day, we've kind of taken the position at Focus that these cannabinoids shouldn't be banned. They shouldn't be outright forbidden, but they probably should belong in the regulated market along with their other psychoactive cousins rather than sold in a gas station or a head shop or you know your local big lots. Or online, right? Right, yeah, or e-commerce. <laughs> e-commerce, right, so, you know. You have a credit card, you can buy it. Um, absolutely, I mean, you know, this is about understanding what you're getting. This is about understanding whether or not it's safe. And, you know, you know, the other sort of pushback that we've heard as it relates to um, legalization and stuff like that was, and standards was, well, they won't let you get the good stuff, right? That they'll cap how potent it can be. And that's why people, you know, are like, well, we don't want standards because we, we want the highest 
possible buzz that we can get, and we're afraid that that will be infringed upon um, if you, you know, subjected to standards. What do you think about that? I think that's a, a little bit of a, a slanted argument, right? So standards, from our perspective, has nothing to do with what you put out as a final product. It has everything to do with the process with which you go to get that final product. By saying you should follow good agricultural practices or good manufacturing practices throughout your facility, that doesn't edit the end product, right? That doesn't lower the amount of THC or CBD or whatever thing you're looking for in your product. That just ensures that the product you are putting out is what you say it is. It ensures that it's clean and safe. It ensures that your employees are safe creating it, right? So a lot of these concentrated products are made with hydrocarbon extraction or ethanol extraction or supercritical CO2 extraction. And I don't think it's a stretch to say that those are arguably dangerous methods if done wrong, right? They're, they're volatile solvents that could explode or they're under extreme pressure, uh, you know, supercritical CO2s in the thousands and thousands of PSI. <clears throat> and standards don't talk about what you're putting out of the machine. They talk about what you're putting into the machine. They talk about how you're operating the machine. They're talking about how you construct your, your facility. They're talking about how you handle a situation if there is a catastrophic or minor failure. And an example that was used in the recent FOCUS and AFTO joint webinar surrounding the Cannabis Administration and Opportunity Act was a facility without standards had a catastrophic failure of a, of a hydrocarbon extraction machine and it resulted in an employee going to the hospital. It resulted in multiple days of downtime while they cleaned up the facility. And on the other side, a highly regulated GMP facility had a very similar catastrophic failure. They only had 27 minutes of downtime, right? And, and that- And nobody was hurt, right? So something, something that gets thrown around the focus uh, water cooler or conference table pretty often is that there's a misconception that standards are an expense and they aren't. They're an investment. They're an investment in future time saved. They're an investment in future employees' lives saved. They're an investment in- continuing to have better products out there, right? So something I, I heard said a long time ago is that as a, as a product producing company or a service producing company, but in this case, a product producing company, your goal should be one thing, to delight your customer. And how do you delight your customer? By delivering consistent guaranteed products at a very consistent clip when they demand it in a format that they're looking for and you live up to your promises. And in order to do all of those things, you can't just go throw a machine in a, in a shed somewhere, turn it on and hope for the best. You follow the same process every time, right? You, you source your product from a very reputable place that's following standards that guarantee that you're getting the right products. You're putting it through the exact same process done the exact same way you're packaging it the same way and you're double checking those things, right? And it all kind of comes back to standards are like that old adage of measure twice, cut once. Well, we're not cutting anything, we're producing things, but the idea still stands. Right, and that's a, that's a big issue I think within the cannabis industry because you know the whole idea of consistency, like I can walk into a McDonald's and I can order something anywhere in the world and expect, you know, I, I will get what I expect to receive, right? The French fries taste like a McDonald's French fries, regardless of what country I'm in. Um, my experience in the cannabis industry is, 
you know, I will find a product, I'll like it. And the next time I go to buy it, I'll have a different experience because it's not the same product. It's not the same, you know what I mean? So that lack of consistency um, is a big problem, you know, and then particularly if we have products, you know, such as we talked about with the earlier CBD products where they weren't even, you know, we don't know what was in them half the time. So of course, you know, we didn't have any consistency. Um, let me ask you a question though, um, with regard to standards, how do the standards impact what results on the labeling? So, so that we know by looking at the label, it's what we want and what we expect. So I, I think the simplest way to answer that is, is standards start with a quality management system and the ability to track what you're doing. And in order to get an accurate label on something, obviously you have to have honesty, right? Like we can't teach that. We can't, we can't regulate honesty. But what we can do is provide a framework for honest people to do what they are gonna do, right? We can provide that framework where- But we can test for honesty, right? We can, though the cannabis industry does have a good bit of interesting pieces in the lab testing thing. So not very many places in cannabis require true third-party sampling of a yeah. test, which is kind of a sketchy endeavor, right? So like if, if you're in corn or alcohol or, or another industry, the testing body is going to send a person to get a random sample. A lot of the times in cannabis, you're going to get to test your own sample. So you're going to pick the very best part so that it reflects. So you can self-report. Right. And then we get into the whole concept of lab shopping, right? So a lot of the times the, the cannabis testing labs, particularly in the United States, are their own business. So it behooves them to return value to the customers. If they want to continue to get a customer, which is the cannabis operator who's producing a product, I'm not saying they all do it. I'm not putting the onus on, on testing labs at all, but there is a, a very legitimate set of circumstances where we have the whole phenomenon of lab shopping, right? A, a, a cannabis producer will send out the same batch to four or five different labs and they'll go with the certificate of analysis, the COA that matches what they're looking for. Um, so- Is this a result of just still being a young industry? Probably, yeah. I, 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 a lot of the times we're emerging, right? Like we're, we're just now coming out of the, the black market, legacy market, prohibition mindset. And we're very quickly becoming big business. And it's probably safe to say that a lot of the times the size of the cannabis industry in total volume and in total, uh, total numbers makes the industry seem a lot more mature than it is. But the truth of the matter is we're still very much in our infantile stage, stage right? And, and another kind of interesting point along those lines is there isn't a cannabis industry, not in the United States anyways. We have 37 different ones or 38 or however many states are legal as of this morning because it seems to change pretty regularly. But each one has their own requirements, their own structure for licensure. They have their own uh, requirements for testing. They have their own requirements for distribution, for tracking and tracing of products, for verifying any of the information. And the interesting part, at least from the focus perspective, is none of that really matters if you're following a rigid adherence to quality control, if you're, if you're doing all of the right things, if you're following standards, whether there are standards or somebody else's, if you're following standards, 
it doesn't matter what the framework is. It only matters what you're doing and, and your adherence to those things. And, and are, have you seen greater adherence when it comes to uh, medicinal products? Maybe, um, really it depends. Um, there are a lot of places and a lot of companies who are incredibly cognizant of the fact that their target market is very sick people who need a very specific set of things. And then of course there are others who just got the medical license in order to piggyback into an adult use market, right? So the answer at the end of the day is maybe, um, it depends. And I, I, at the end of the day, again, I hate to, to reuse that, but at the end of the day, the only, the only thing that we can guarantee is do your research, right? Like guarantee yourself that you know what you're getting, right? Like uh, my friend has a, a t-shirt that says, skip the sales pitch and show me the lab results. And I think that's a safe way to shop as a cannabis consumer right now, because there is no way to know until you know. And that's the only real source of true data that one can find to know. And I mean, because if you, if you apply the, the medical standard and typically the medical standard is evidence-based. So, you know, you need to go, you know, it needs to be uh, tested. It needs to be put through trials. Um, you know, it doesn't immediately go to market, which is the frustration and why we see the workarounds that we see. Um, because this is an expensive process. This is a timely process. So you can't just drop things on the market. But one would hope that if you've gone through this evidence-based approach, then we have a really good understanding of what is contained in the product and whether or not it's, you know, um, the efficacy is there or not, or the efficacy meets the claims that they're making. So something we did at Focus was we participated in the draft bill responses to the Cannabis Administration and Opportunity Act, right? Lots of cannabis organizations, companies, individuals did. But something we did above and beyond in our partnership with AFTO, the Association of Food and Drug Officials, is we proposed a four four lane framework for federal legalization, right? So adult use is adult use. We know what that one is. It's a vice industry, 21 and up. Um, and industrial hemp, that's one of the four. That one's pretty, pretty simple. What we did that we found to be unique or novel is that we separated what we currently call medical from true medical. So we're of the belief, and, and myself in particular is of the belief that what we currently have doesn't really fit the criteria of medical. It's medicinal or more accurately, probably therapeutic, right? It's or the wellness, right? Right. It's the rejection of westernized medicine. It's the rejection of standardized ingredients and all of those things. And it's a more homeopathic approach. Whereas medical in our minds would be advanced pharmaceutical ingredients. It's isolated cannabinoids put into a very specific format in pill form or in a, you know, epidiolex or, or one of these things, those fit more of the medical case. So when we put together our, our cannabis administration and opportunity response, we cut it into those four. So therapeutic being what we currently call medical, adult use being what we all know, uh, industrial being kind of what we have under the farm bill, right? And then we have the actual medical pathway, right? The, the very standardized APIs and ingredient-based pharmaceutical processing. And that makes kind of the most sense in our world 
Um, and we're actually going through a series of webinars now where we're collecting feedback on our feedback as meta as that sounds. So we, we conducted a webinar a couple of weeks ago where we kind of went over, this is our response. This is everything we put in. This is our thinking behind it. And now we're in the process of collecting uh, survey results from relevant stakeholders. So industry members, regulators, government officials on where they think we're not feasible, where they think it is feasible, where we nailed it, where we went off. And we're going to continue through a series of things because it at the end of the day, right now, we've got kind of these competing pieces and there isn't a cohesive industry regulator, relevant stakeholder from mainstream industry voice to talk to the federal government as they're trying to kind of unlock the puzzle that is federal legalization. And we're really hoping with our partnership with AFTO and continuing to kind of drive down that path that we can hopefully provide that, right? Uh, so that we can bring in the relevant stakeholders and have a, a round table and a brainstorming session and come up with the best possible way that at the end of, you know, that keeps health and safety first of mind for consumers, for patients, for employees, but also results in a healthy, vibrant industry that, uh, that allows people to kind of live the American dream, right? We want people to be able to participate in the industry in every possible facet. And in order to do that, it's going to start with the framework and it's going to proliferate out from there. And so <clears throat> what are the goals of focus? You know, are you looking to establish these standards? Are you looking to increase the adherence to these standards? What, what is, you know, the, sort of the short-term and long-term goals of, of your efforts? Both. Um, so at the end, you know, we are the cannabis health and safety organization. That is first and foremost on our plate, right? And then kind of past that is we want to provide a format with which every cannabis company can keep that at the front of mind. So short-term goal is to continue to drive forward and provide more standards with which cannabis companies can adhere to continue toward that international accreditation level where it's it's becoming an industry standard. And then the long-term goal is exactly as you suggested, helping people adhere to those standards because standards are the thing that will separate us from any other industry. Standards are the thing that will allow us as an industry to grow up and be part of the, you know, the consumer packaged goods, alcohol, tobacco world of things, because all of those industries have them. So that's kind of it, right? We need a, we need a novel code for cannabis production. We need strict standards for every conceivable niche of the industry. And we need a framework that's going to allow that. And we're trying to do all of those things at once. And not only in the United States, we're, we're also working with foreign countries, foreign entities, whether it be private industry or government, to really develop this on a, on a global scale, because eventually cannabis will become a global commodity, and we will have to start looking at GMP or, right, yeah, we're, we're getting there now where countries are going to start importing and exporting and doing all of these very big things, and in order to get there, how else are we going to know that what's produced in Morocco or Portugal or Spain is meeting the standards of Thailand or Australia or Lesotho and, and vice versa. And the only way to do that is if we have 
standards. And, and once, you know, not that the standards ever end, but once you sort of have a, a set of standards, will you also then move into education and training? That's definitely, that's definitely on, on the docket of things. Um, so we are not unaware that eventually we will run out of bandwidth and you kind of have to take the larger model of how do you train third-party consultants and auditors to these standards? How do you allow other people to participate in that? So that's very much in the wheelhouse of things. So currently we kind of break things down into to three parts, right? We have the standards and that is, that is it. And then we also have our regulatory and government affairs portion, which is specifically designed to help governments, regulators, authorities, legislators, whatever you want to call it, understand the process of cannabis and then decide on adopting some standards. And then we also have the consulting arm because right now a lot of cannabis operators aren't there. They're not at the level of being certified to the standard. So we've tried to also provide that helping hand. How can we help you learn the process, work through the process? How can we be the guiding light to get you to a place where you're ready for these standards. And, and, and do you find that most um, of these entrepreneurs are seeking out support or are they looking to put it off as long as possible? Really that's dependent. So it's becoming readily apparent that quality as a selling point is becoming a huge differentiator for operators, right? They want to differentiate and a lot of them look toward ISO certification or Code of Federal Regulations, Title 21, and insert a number here, 111, 211, something. Right. Or Because we see that in all other industries, like you said. So we're used to that and, and we can get comfortable with that. So what, what we're seeing right now is, is there's a lot of people, if they're there, right? So not the entire industry is there. There still is this contingent of, if it's not required, we're not going to pay for it. But of the ones who are interested, right now the big hurdle is they hear these mainstream terms and they, and they go for that. And they want to retrofit a standard from another industry into cannabis. And, and the big hurdle for us right now is how do we convince them that there is a, a native to the cannabis industry standard that meets or exceeds all of those? but is also keeping the unique needs of cannabis operations in mind. And if people want to learn more, where should they go? They should go to focusstandards.org. Um, they can also find us on Instagram and LinkedIn, uh, but focusstandards.org is the big one. Okay, we will make a point to put um, that website as well as your social channels in the uh, text below. We very much appreciate your time today and sharing this information. Um, we wholeheartedly support what you're doing. We, we believe in standards and think it's tremendously important. Um, so please keep fighting the good fight. Um, and again, thank you for your time today. Thanks. Have a great day. You too. Thanks.